Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week well, focusing on your mental health. What does that mean? Ah, quick little reminder. It means every time you're proposed an opportunity, you say to yourself, how would this impact my mental health? What are the mental health ramifications? I, I would love it if we extended that far beyond. I'm working with a lot of individuals about asking themselves that even before they pick up their phone. How's my mental health? What are my needs? I think we have to get better about checking with ourselves and saying, what need do I have right now? Because I think we often funnel every need into just some form of distraction as the solution. But it's kind of when I use, I'll use some of my food analogies. I, I tend to use the same couple ones. Um, <clears throat> when we're feeling a little bit of hunger in our, in our stomachs, which we're getting better at intuitive eating. For those that are new to that word, it means we're not eating on a meal plan, we're not counting our macros, we're eating when our body says we're hungry and we're stopping when our body says we're full. That is a mental health perspective because we've gotten really familiar with a lot of disordered eating. And overly restricted, rigid food plans and dieting is disordered eating. It's making food way too important in fact, some people, their entire day is centered in food. When they're eating, what they're eating, that is not what food is for. Food is just for nourishment. Yes, food has a lot more things surrounding it. I love that food is also joy. I love that food is also self-care. I love that food is also a coping mechanism. Yes, that's right. You can eat to feel better. We'll talk more about that. We have before. There's nothing wrong with that. Food is also celebration, food is family, food is culture, food is our identity. For some, food is art. I've been cooking through the pandemic and that was because initially because of health issues. Um, I don't talk a lot about my personal life, mainly because I don't think it's anyone's business and I, I'm here to do clinical work more so than anything else. But it was, it was, it was health issues and I realized that I had severely dangerously high blood pressure. Um, and I, and I learned a lot. I haven't been doing a lot of work in the nutrition world, although that was one of my original majors in school. But uh, heart disease is one of the number one killers around the world. It's also one of the number one killers in the country. And one of the top causes of heart disease, sorry for all the background noise, closing some windows, but one of the number one causes of heart disease is heart, you know, heart-related things like high blood, high blood pressure, but all of it is sodium. Uh, we don't talk enough about the sodium that's in our food. It's shocking when I started adding up the amount of sodium I was eating. I was eating two, three, or four times the recommended amount daily. And if you're shocked by that, pay attention to the amount of sodium you're eating. Every time you eat out, just in that one meal, you might be getting your entire day's worth in that one meal. And then we do it again at lunch. We do it again at dinner. Uh, most foods you buy in a supermarket are loaded with sodium. In fact, products that say low sodium actually aren't. It's just that it's lower than the wild amount that it normally has. And so I started cooking. I realized the only way to really get a heart healthy diet was to cook, make it myself back to basics. My family has a lot of deaths due to heart disease and heart issues. Um, one of the most recent ones being my father. And that was the wake up call. And my high blood pressure, my doctors were like, you are going to need to go on medication and you are at a severe risk of heart attack if you don't start tackling this. Um, all that with me even being highly active. And so it made me start cooking. And through that cooking, I started to realize that there was a lot more to the preparation of food than I had realized. All of this, just to bring us back to the whole idea that mental health is about looking at our relationship to everything in our lives. 
And a lot of people have really normalized some problematic thinking when our days aren't centered in things that give us joy and pleasure, when our days aren't centered in things that give us purpose and meaning, when our days aren't centered in spending time with the relationships that are important to us. Our, our days should not be centered in counting calories, shaming f- ourselves for food that we ate, eating restrictive you know, meals and food prep, unless you have some kind of special dietary needs. But a lot of us do. And so that's just a rough example of saying like, am I looking out for my mental health? How is whatever I'm doing in my day impacting my mental health? Is it making it better? Is it making it worse? I work with a lot of individuals on moving away from restrictive gym routines and diet. I work with clients that will pass on going to dinners or dates because they're afraid of having to eat food out in the world. And when I started to realize I had heart health issues, um, it's been a year of a lot of health issues, it was something I had to kind of deal with. How can I still participate fully in my life and have joy and pleasure while also monitoring what I'm putting in my body so I don't die? I don't, I don't want to die like my dad and many other people in my family have at a very young age because of heart issues. But yet I wanted to still be mental health centered. So it's that juggling of both. So I want us to ask ourselves, especially with the phone, I'm going to be spending more and more time every night talking about it. Anyone that's on my social media knows I don't really post anymore. I want to delete my social media. I don't really have an interest in that. Uh, People can read my books. They can listen to my radio show. They can work with me clinically, but I don't feel the need to be on my phone. I'm trying to spend as little time as possible on my phone, much to the detriment of people that are trying to contact me um, because I check my phone now only maybe two two times a day, three times a day. Um, Anything more than that isn't healthy for me mentally for a lot of reasons. So we want to be better about checking in on that. Um, So that was all, that was what my question was all that just to say, you know, I hope you're checking in on your mental health. I hope you're saying what, what am I centering in my day? Is it my eating? Is it my gym routine? Is it work? Is it my phone use? What is it? And what kind of impact is that having on my mental health? All right, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about self-talk, how to turn some negative self-talk into positive self-talk. So stick around, listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about turning negative self-talk, well, neutralizing negative self-talk, or at least recognizing we're engaging in negative self-talk. So let's start there for a second. The first step in behavior change is just building consciousness around what it is we want to change. And I'll work with patients in my practice and they'll say, How do I do that? How do I do that? And I'll say, breathe, breathe for a second. Come back, come back to the moment with me before we even worry about what to do. Let's just work on acknowledging the framework that that change needs to occur and where it needs to occur and what, what needs to change. Just start with the awareness. Again, the first stage of behavior change is just awareness of what needs to change and what it could even begin to look like before we even try to execute that. Because that naturally, action naturally comes from building consciousness. And consciousness is important because most of us are not living in the moment. We're always living in the past or very much rushing into the future. But living right here in this moment is just acknowledging what's happening with us and what our work is. And I was saying that in the prior segment that part of being mental health focused is asking ourselves, what is the need that I have in this moment? And to use my food analogy, which I didn't get to in the last segment, is 
<clears throat> sometimes we're feeling something and we might just say, let me rush to 7-Eleven, grab a Snickers bar. I think I'm feeling hungry and I'll just meet that need. Well, when we're hungry, the need is usually nourishment. We need, you know, we have, we only eat so many meals a day and all those meals, we need to get in all the vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, flavonoids, fiber, protein, carbohydrates, essential, you know, essential um, amino acids, uh, essential fatty acids. We need to get all these different things. And so however many meals you eat a day, it's only that many opportunities to get what we need to function in the ways we want to function because our mental health and our physical health is rooted in what we fuel our bodies with. That's not food shaming. That's not body negative. That's just the fact of biology. Yes, some people live in food deserts where they're not given access to certain foods they might want. Other people have religious beliefs and restrictions. I get all of that. But the core of it is what we put in our bodies will determine how we feel just like we put in what we put in our minds will determine our mental health. And what we put in our minds is conversation conversations, how we talk to ourselves, social media we look at, books we read, conversations we're a part of. Um, it's very systemic. But the food analogy is to basically say, if we ask ourselves what our need is, it'll better help us get it to get the need met. Because if you're hungry, the need isn't, I just need to shove something quick into my stomach. The need is I need to nourish myself. And when we realize it, and say it that way, then we might go to the supermarket and get all the necessary things to prepare a meal that might actually satiate that need. Another example, some people confuse feeling turned on as though they need sexuality. But sometimes what it really is, is we're not turned on, we're just bored. And people will pick up their phone when they're bored and instead of saying I'm lonely, which would say, which would indicate that we call someone, we just start flipping around. And even on the dating apps, is it that you're aroused and you're looking for eroticism and sexuality? Is it that you're lonely and you're looking for socialization? Is it that you're bored and you just want to be stimulated and distracted by something? If we ask that question, which is rooted in the here and now, like what's going on with me? before I even worry about what to do. And I just build a consciousness of what is it that I'm seeking? What am I needing? And if I'm lonely, let me call a friend. Let me not pick up my phone. If I'm bored, let me maybe watch a movie versus again, picking up my phone. And we start to notice that we start to go to the same few things all the time to get every need met, but these things can't meet certain needs. And that's what leaves us feeling empty or constantly going back to it because the need was never met. And so we're constantly going back to that thing that we think will meet the need that's failing us, but the need goes unmet, so we still have that drive. And that's part of mental health, being in the moment, saying, what do I need right now? Even people that are married, I want them to still say like, what am I needing in this relationship? What am I needing in my life? And that's the mental health focus. Now, self-talk is powerfully related to that because a lot of times we just feel bad and we don't ask ourselves why. We don't ask ourselves, what are, what are we, how are we speaking to ourselves? We don't ask ourselves, what am I thinking? We don't ask ourselves, who am I spending time around? What kind of messaging are they giving me? Because we're rushing through our lives very quickly and we're spending too much time on our phones, which means we're spending time disconnected from ourselves. Every time your face is buried in your phone, you're disconnected from yourself. You're disconnected from the world as well. And we're trying to get every need by going on our phone. We're bored, we pick up our phone. We're lonely, we pick up our phone. Even we're hungry, maybe we pick up our phone. Come back to yourself. But self-talk is powerful because we've all heard this cliche. We often talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to someone else. Or we talk to ourselves in ways that we would never let someone else talk to us. And that's important because we want to start talking to ourselves better, more positively, so we feel positive. So we're going to talk about some of the more common forms of negative self-talk and what are some better, more honest reframes. Because we're not doing toxic positivity, we're not just trying to feel better, we're trying to really learn about ourselves, and we're trying to really be present with ourselves and in the moment. And the only way we can do that is by saying, what am I saying to myself? So I want us to get better at listening to our self-talk because it's always going on. It's just that we don't often put a lot of attention to it. No one really asks that question. And so we just kind of move through the world left alone with ourselves. But being alone with ourselves isn't always a psychological or emotionally safe place to be. Again, dependent on how do we treat ourselves when we're with ourselves? Like that really, really, really matters. So let's look at the first one. Um, and again, we're going to, we're going to try to universalize these, but we're going to be very specific, uh, as the entry point. So if you're thinking, I can't do this, this is too hard. Well, yeah, you're right. You can, if you think like that, if you feel nothing but the enormity of the task that's before you, 
well, then you're right. You're looking at it in its enormity. You're looking at it in its intensity and its complexity. And you're like, I could never do that. This tends to be a lot of my own self-talk. I'm not technologically inclined. Whenever something is brought to me or required that is technologically involved, I immediately panic and I will say to myself, I cannot do that. That is too hard. I do not understand technology. Well, you're right. If that's all I say and that's the only way I see it, that will be very that will that will not allow me to not that will neither allow me to step into solution nor does that create the kind of mindset that allows me to find the needed solution because i'm living in what panic and when you're panicked your executive functioning is not online in the same ways that it needs to be all right we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back keep talking about self talk listening to loveline dr chris on channel q in odyssey we'll be back Oh, Rachel, we are back and we're talking about self-talk. Why? Well, because we need to think more about what it is we're saying to ourselves and the impact that that has on our mental health, but also our ability to be successful or to function in the world in the ways we want to. So before the break, one of the negative self-talks we were going to really try to reframe and make more functional and also make more honest was the idea, I can't do this, it's too hard. And I was basically saying that whenever I'm presented with something that has something technologically associated with it, I immediately get very overwhelmed and I shut down. That's a panic response. It's also a trauma response rooted in historically not really understanding technology and feeling very overwhelmed by it. But what happens while well, we're going into our limbic brain, we're panicking, our executive functioning is offline, which means we are not connecting to reason and uh, in our neocortex, which is where we have skills and we can soothe ourselves and maybe actually start to move towards this scary thing in front of us and break it apart. So when we hear ourselves saying something like, I can't do this, it's too hard, here's the more functional reframe. I can do this if I break it down into smaller steps. So you might not remember that exact tagline, that's okay, but what I do want you to remember is when you're feeling very overwhelmed or threatened by something, we're gonna create this very global perspective of it and it's usually gonna be one that is very, um, I'm trying, there's a word that I want to keep using and it is not a word that we use anymore. Uh, it's a little ableist. And so if I, every time I pause in that moment, I'm trying to find a better word because historically I would have said when we're very anxious, it's disabling, but that's not the best use of that word. And that can be very ableist use of the word. So, you know, when we're very overwhelmed, we're not going to necessarily be able to tap into the skills that we do have. Let me say it like that. And our confidence is going to waver. So I want us to always remember our first thought, or our first feeling isn't always the most functional or the most honest. And when we can pause and take a deep breath, we realize that we can start somewhere. And that's what I've had to tell myself when it is important that I engage in something technological that overwhelms me, is I'll say, break it into small pieces. Start easy, start small, start somewhere, and see if that builds any confidence. And traditionally, it usually turns out to not be as scary, as complex as I thought it was gonna be. And by leaning out of my immediate assessment, which is just my self-talk, because my, my you know, reactive thinking doesn't consider all the things that I have done technologically and been very successful at, it immediately goes to that outdated script that I keep carrying with me through my life, which is that I'm bad at technology, and that's not true. I'm sometimes bad with some technology. And even though it sounds very similar, it's more honest. And that holds space for the fact that there are some forms that I am good with. And I myself have shown other people how to do things. But it's about breaking things down into smaller steps. When you hear yourself saying, I can't do this, this is too hard, try to breathe, center yourself and say, I can if I break it down into smaller steps. Another form of negative thinking to reframe is something like, someone else is doing better than me, I'm a failure. We move through our lives living in comparison culture. And that will always fail you because there's always, 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 no matter what you're doing, going to be someone who's doing it better. I work with some of the most successful people on the planet, they're patients of mine, in their respective fields, whatever field you wanna choose, art, film, music, real estate, whatever it is, medicine. And even these people whose names you would know who are seen as very successful at the top of their game, there are still people that are further ahead or that are coming up from behind and will soon surpass them. There is no one, or there's very few people, I should say, who sh don't have others that they can maybe be a little made anxious by or threatened by. There's always people doing it better or soon will, and we know that. We will age out of something. We will be put in positions where we no longer have the skills or we're no longer relevant in that way or whatever it is. 
Um, and that's something that we have to get familiar with. All that to say is we live in a world where that's always going to be the case. Social media makes it even worse because you're given access to people who are promoting and leading with their best. And so it's very understandable that we can often feel like a failure. This came up a lot during COVID where some people like myself weren't trying to capitalize on it to put out a book and a program and go back to school. People like myself were like, I'm just going to rest and heal. I've been working nonstop my entire life. I'm going to let the pandemic soothe me. I'm going to let the pandemic be a break, a rest. I'm still doing that. I'm not pushing. I'm not hustling. I'm not optimizing. And I don't ever actually want to. I'm working on contentment. I'm working on being happy with where I'm at. I'm working on being happy with what I already have. I don't always need a next step. I don't always need self-improvement. I'm working with letting this just be enough. I'm working on letting myself just be doing 60 or 70% of everything. I don't want to give anything 100% because that burns me out. That's hustle culture. That's grind culture. My worth isn't tied to how successful I am or what I produce. So I'm giving everything 60 or 70% at best. 100% is reserved for nothing. I don't want to be perfect. I don't want to be ideal. I don't want to be the best. I want to be content. I want to be happy. I want to focus on my mental health. I want to have fun. I want to have a leisure. I want to be in my relationship. I want to see the people that are important to me. I want to take vacations. I want to rest. That's what I want to do. And so we don't need to be the best. Maybe that's the point I'm making. When you have that cognitive thought, the negative self-talk, someone's doing it better, I'm a failure, I want you to actually challenge that and say, I don't need to be the best. I can never be the best. Why do I think I need to be the best? Why can't I just be good enough? Why does my ego mandate that I'm the best? Why do I have to be perfect? Why can't I have confidence and worth just on me being where I'm at? It's our culture. The culture is always telling you you have to do more, faster, better, shinier, quicker. Yeah, we'll come back and break that down. We're going to do some DMs, then we'll come back to self-talk. So stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, y'all, this one says, Hey, Dr. Chris, so I'm kind of in a little bit of a sticky situation with one of my friends. She fell in love with me. Bum, bum, bum. She told me about this. I was very open honest, which I appreciated. However, <laughs> I don't feel the same way, and I told her that. Now. I feel like we can't hang out without her getting touchy. It almost feels forceful, and I feel like I'm being backed into a corner. Isn't it a little unfair that she's blaming me for her feelings when I'm just being myself? Why do I have to change to accommodate her feelings? I think it's very unfair to express love to a friend. Um, I don't think friends need to have that done. I think it can make them feel betrayed. I think being told that someone who has presented as a friend but actually secretly has harbored interest you know, expressing that causes that individual to retroactively redefine the entire relationship. I work with a lot of clients who have built friendships and then someone ex discloses love and they say, wow, so this whole time, have you been manipulating our friendship? Have you been misusing what I thought was platonic relationship and intimacy for something more? That's not fair. So the learning lesson is if you have a crush on someone, don't try to be their friend if you don't think you can manage that boundary. And if you can, keep it to yourself. The only reason why we would disclose is to try to get it reciprocated. And if this person you know is just your friend, it's nothing really meaningful to do with that. You need to work on holding that back or you can't be friends with that person. But to the author of the question, you don't need to accommodate her feelings. You don't need to change anything. And if someone touches you without you asking for that, that's assault. And so you need to sit them down and say, listen, I don't feel okay with the fact that you're trying to steal or force eroticism or romance or affection. And if you touch me again or make me feel that way, our relationship ends immediately because that's an issue of consent. That's an issue of boundaries and it feels assaultive. So I'm really worried about this person's mental health if they're forcing this on you. If they express interest and you said, I'm just not there, then that's case closed, period. Otherwise, to pursue and to force is a lack of consent and boundaries. That's assaultive. We're not doing that anymore. We're honoring what we're told. And when someone shows discomfort or disinterest, we back away 100%. So I don't know that this person is healthy enough to be in your life. You literally said, I feel like we can't hang out without her getting touchy. That is not okay. And you don't have anything right now. You don't have a friendship. You're withholding, understandably. You are leaning away to protect yourself. You don't have a friendship. And this person is being predatory. They're still spending time with you. They're trying to touch you. They're trying to force affection. 
it's not okay. It might be time to end the friendship. But to those that are listening, we don't want to do that. If you can't be friends with someone, back out. If you sign unconsciously the contract of this is just platonic, honor that. If you know that they're not interested, go project and place that interest on someone else. There are lots of single people in the world that are looking for love and eroticism and affection. Bring it to someone who wants it. But we're no longer trying to pursue people that have set a boundary with us. People should only have to say no one time. And that's when we really assess someone's boundaries. When we finally set one, what they do next. And this person's ignoring your boundary, pushing on it and climbing over it. So I don't believe they're necessarily healthy to be kept in your life. And that's a bummer. Because like I said, a lot of people I work with feel betrayed when someone retroactively redefines what they've been doing this whole time and says, I've liked you this whole time, or we've been dating in my head secretly. That's, that's a betrayal. Uh, there's nothing healthy about that. We need to stop centering love at all costs, no matter what. Honor where people are at. Be honest about what you want. Listen to what people tell you about what they're available for. So as to not burn this down completely like this person has done by forcing touch. Everyone's uncomfortable. No one's needs are getting met. No one's enjoying the relationship anymore. Got to be better about that. Remember, like mental health is, uh, is addressing and paying attention to and making decisions based on how we impact others and what their needs are. So we need to get better about that. This, this isn't a good sign. So um, sorry that that's happening. There's a lot we can all learn from something like this. Um, and it's a bummer that most likely this friendship can't continue because that's where this really winds up landing. All right, y'all. DMs come from our Loveland AG page. Got a DM for us, question you got, topic you want covered, drop it the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Give us a follow back. And past episodes, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. Bam, there they are. You can binge, post, share, we listen. But we got a whole lot more Loveline to come, so uh, don't go anywhere. You gotta, gotta rock out to that music. Stick around, y'all. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be right back. Alrighty, we are back and we're talking a lot about self-talk and I wanted to just zero in on this one piece, which is a lot of us really believe we have to be the best and we have to be successful and we have to be the best. Most of us won't be the best. Very few people can be the best. For instance, not everyone can win a gold medal in their athletic pursuits which means not everyone can be the best. Not everyone can be you know, a billionaire if you see money, which I do not as a sign of success. Uh, for me, money is not uh, connected to success. There's a lot of people that I think are failures that have a lot of money because they're horrible human beings and they don't take care of their family and their lives aren't rooted in meaning and purpose, You know my definitions. All this to say, I want us to work on mental health, which is contentment. But we have consumerism, materialism, all these different forces in our lives that are always telling us we have to be better or the best. But contentment is what all the research on happiness and mental health will always tell you is how we get there, is just being happy with where we're at and what we have. I'm not saying it's not okay to want to learn more or to challenge ourselves, but those should be the words. You don't have to do better. Be where you are, but if you want to learn more or you want to grow or you want to challenge yourself, I'm okay with that because I like the way that feels in my body. That doesn't feel harsh. That doesn't feel like grind culture because a lot of us are buckling under this idea of, we, even if you don't think you are, you are. A lot of us think we need to be perfect. A lot of us, our self-worth is tied to ego. Ego is form and materialism. Ego is what you're operating from and perfectionism, perfectionism when your worth is tied to the things you have. Who cares what you own? That doesn't make your life happier, make you have worth. We're also taught that, you know, and this has, this, a lot of this comes from our family of origin, our, our early upbringing, where we get conditional love and we get only validation from friends, family members, and caregivers when we're the best or when we win or when we get an A. And we need to normalize making a C or a B something that we feel good about. I want people to get Bs and to be happy with that or C plus. Ha, huh, you did good enough. Because all of these things that we're trying to achieve and we're trying to be perfect at aren't happening in vacuums. So for instance, someone who right now going to school is like, oh, I got a B. Well, that's awesome because 
we're still watching black lives get murdered. It's still illegal to be gay in some countries. The environment is still a catastrophe. We still are hearing rumblings of that sociopath Trump may be running for president again. We are still in a pandemic watching people die. So yeah, I think it's pretty great that in the midst of all that, you were still able to learn enough to get a B. That to me is pretty freaking great. I would never say to someone, why didn't you get an A? I don't know, because maybe I have other things going on in my life and I have other things that are more important or more meaningful to me. Again, I'm not saying everyone should just throw their hands up and fail out of school or drop off the team, but I am saying just be content. We need to work on contentment. We are too obsessed with perfection and competing and keeping up with other people and comparing ourselves to others and thinking that our worth or our success is tied to how much money I have and how many objects I own. And none of that is mental health centered. There are, there's no mental health research that agrees with that. It all comes back to the same thing. Whether you look in mental health, whether you look in spirituality, whether you look in sociology, the people that are the happiest are people that their lives are centered in purpose and meaning. They're content with what they have and they prioritize relationality in their life, their friends and their family members, period. Those are the happiest people. Again, I work with some of the most successful, famous, wealthiest people, and they're miserable because money and objects don't make people happy. Again, we know that. Always striving to be better makes you miserable and not happy. It's perfectionism, and you never get there. What makes people happy is being content, saying what I have is good enough. And so we're talking about negative self-talk. So when you hear yourself saying to yourself, I should be doing better, I'm a failure, I want you to say to yourself, I should be working on being happy with what I have. Why do I believe I need more? Who is telling me I'm not enough as I am? That's what you should be focusing on. We don't need to always be doing better and more. And that was a lesson I learned a long time ago as well, because I live in LA and I live in an industry where there's always someone with a bigger radio show, more published books, more famous, making more money. And I could get caught up in that. And I realized very early on when I entered media, I'm going to do it for fun. And when it's not fun anymore, I'm going to stop doing it. And that's always served me. What are my goals? To enjoy what I'm doing. That's it. That's my career goals, to enjoy what I'm doing. Not to do more, not to make more, not to be more famous, but if I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And right now I am. And when I'm not, I'll make those changes in whatever direction that is. You know, I always tell people, when in doubt, come back to your mission statement. And if you don't have one, create one. What do you want your purpose here to be? Come back to that. I want mine to be transform transformation. I want to transform others, transform others and be transformed. So I seek friendships and relationships with people that I enjoy being with and that I can learn from. And I try to bring that back to people in my clinical work and in my um in my media work. And when that isn't available, I'll step into something else. And that makes me feel safe and at peace versus always trying to do more and better. I don't need to become Dr. Drew for a lot of reasons. I don't need to become Dr. Phil. I don't value those people anyway in the work they're doing. Um, I like where I'm at and I like what I'm doing. And, and that's what I want everyone to strive, on, strive towards. So when you hear yourself saying that negative self-talk, I need to do more. I need to be better. I'm not successful enough. Say to yourself, I need to actually work on contentment. And it's really hard to find that kind of messaging because most people, if you say to them something like, I think I'm a failure or I think I need to do more, I don't think I'm successful, they'll work on helping you get to a place of feeling like you're successful. But what at, at what cost? And that's a treadmill. Oh, shoot, we gotta take a break. We'll come back, keep talking about this, okay? So stick around, we're gonna talk about self-talk. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back. We're talking about self-talk, talking about moving away from perfectionism, moving towards contentment. Often what we deem to be the problem isn't the problem. Let's start there. And what we deem to be the problem will determine what we think the possible solutions are. But if you're framing the problem wrong, you're gonna get the wrong solutions. So before the break, we were talking about perfectionism and this negative self-talk of I'm not doing enough, I'm a failure, I need to do more. Well, if you really think that's the problem, well, then you're gonna frame the answer in being, how do I get to become successful? How do I learn to do more? How do I get more fame? But that actually isn't really the real problem. And so I know this with clients. When a client enters my practice and they tell me their stated problem, I listen more because often that's what their understanding is. But the real issue is usually a lot deeper or a little less obvious to them. And I see that in people out in the world as well. So we really have to get better at saying, what is the true problem? That's a good way to work with negative self-talk. Am I assessing this correctly? 
Uh, but what we're really doing tonight is we're looking at negative self-talk and we're creating better reframes. Because we started the show by talking about the fact that a lot of us talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to someone else. A lot of us talk to ourselves in ways that we would be really pained to hear someone else say to someone else. But yet we live with ourselves and we're always talking to ourselves in some really horrible ways. So we're kind of reframing things. We were talking about feeling as though something's too hard or difficult and looking at it in terms of saying, how can I begin this? How can I break this down into understandable bite-sized pieces? Then we were talking about feeling like a failure and instead working towards contentment and not feeling as though I have to do more. I don't have to be successful. I need to work on being happy and happy is being content with where I am and what I'm doing. I'm allowed to make changes. I'm allowed to seek learning. I'm allowed to seek growth, but I'm not going to try to make myself successful because that's often tied to ego and tied to money and objects and materialism. And we know that those things never bring happiness. They only bring it temporarily. They can bring you bursts of joy, but they don't bring you happiness. That, that joy decreases. And that's evidenced by anything you own. Oh, that old pair of shoes. Oh, that old car. Oh, that old, you know, iPhone. Oh, that's interesting because when you first got it, that was your baby. But a few weeks in, a few months in, a few years in, it's that old thing. See how that works? It was joyful in the beginning, the first day or week you had it, and then that joy disappears. And you never had happiness. You only had momentary joy. Happiness is contentment, being happy with where we are and what we have. Uh, other self-talk that we're gonna reframe is, I hate my body. I hate the way I look. Well, last week I was talking about how TikTok, God bless, and some of the other social media apps are starting to pay attention to the fact that they are complicit and accomplices in harming people's mental health because they're running platforms that are harming people. And you know, there was this great piece of research I looked at many years ago and it was very upsetting where it was looking at the diaries of teenagers. And a couple decades ago, they were these individuals writing in these diaries, these teenagers, these youths, they were talking about wanting to be better people. They were saying, am I a good enough person? Am I living a life that I should be proud of? Now, they're talking about, am I hot? Do I have a good body? Am I desirable? We're obsessed with body and attractiveness. And a lot of that is where we're at with social media. So I tell people, unfollow people that are constantly posting before and after pictures and beauty shots and gym pictures. You don't need to see that. There's nothing for you to gain from that. There's nothing for you to learn. There's nothing even interesting in that. All you're seeing is pictures of people that drank the Kool-Aid. They're conformists. They think that their worth is tied to having the body they think they need to have and looking the way they need to look. Pull yourself outside of that. That's not healthy. That's a trap. And we're reframing from I hate my body to my appearance doesn't determine my worth. My body's just a vehicle. Your body's not an achievement. I don't know why people are so proud of what they were able to do with their bodies. It's not an achievement. It's a vehicle. It's our emotions. It's how we move through the world. It's important, but it shouldn't be something that our worth is tied to, especially when a lot of it's based on our genetics and what we have access to. And the privileges. Not everyone can get to a gym or can afford a gym or can afford daycare to go to a gym. That's just one rough example. Our worth is not tied to the shape of our body or the look of our body. Our worth is not tied to how attractive or desirable we are. Our goal on this planet as humans was not to be as attractive as possible, but we've drank in that Kool-Aid and we believe that. And we follow a lot of social media and have a lot of friends that reflect that. You look at people, pictures of people out with their friends, it's not a shocker that they all dress and look the same because they've all reinforced that. Start to dismantle that. Say to your friends, let's be that group of friends that isn't so forced into this bubble like that. Our bodies aren't our, our best asset. They shouldn't be our worth. Yes, it matters. It's the vehicle that gets us through. It's where we connect to our emotions. It's how we build relationships with others, but we're putting a little too much intensity on it. I even tell that to single people. Don't get into relationships and date people that are obsessed with the gym and fitness and desirability and attractiveness because they'll put that on you. They'll demand that from you. And that is not mental health. So we start to realize we're saying things like, I hate my body. Start to say, how can I stop acknowledging my body? How can I get away Away from even considering my body. It's not body positivity, it's body neutrality. Start not caring. Yes, I want people to focus on health to the best they can, to the best they're interested. I'm focusing on mine, but I know that my health isn't tied to what my body looks like. I don't send my doctor a shirtless pick for my physical. Why? Because he has to actually listen to my heart, listen to my breathing. He has to actually do blood work. He has to look in my ear canals. He has to look down my throat. He has to touch my stomach. 
right? Health is not tied to your body. Health exists at every size. You can be fat and healthy, skinny and healthy. You can be fat and unhealthy, skinny and unhealthy. You can go to the gym, have ripped abs and still be very unhealthy and riddled with disease and illness. It's not about the aesthetic, but somehow we've gotten tied to that. We have to disengage that. Challenge yourselves to do that. That's one of the biggest forms of self-talk we need to get away from is making it neutral. Who cares what my body looks like? Stop weighing it. Stop looking at yourself. Stop checking yourself. Just move more. Eat foods that make sense to you and go live your life outside of that. It's a big one. A lot of our mental health would be improved if we could step outside of that. Um, All right, let's take a break and then we'll finish this out. And of course, we'll be closing out on some DMs. So if you got DM for us, drop the DMs in our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, comments. And uh, we are channelq.com is where you want to go to check out past episodes. So head on over there. We'll be right back though. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back talking about self-talk. All right, y'all, we're back and we're just closing out our discussion of negative self-talk and how to reframe it. Why? Because we're always with ourselves, how we talk to and about ourselves matters. And also remember, you want to also weigh in on how others talk to and about you. I have no problem, and I share this with you to inspire you. If I hear someone say something to me or about me that feels not like the way I want to feel or see myself, I'll stop them. If someone takes a slam, I'll say, hey, I'm going to stop you. That didn't feel good. Or, hey, I'm going to stop you. I actually don't see myself that way, or I don't talk to myself like that, or, Hey, I don't really want to live in that kind of a world. I said to people as well, you know what? I actually don't want to talk about that topic because that's not really aligned with my values. So I want us to also pay attention to how people talk about us and around us. But tonight we're really looking at how we talk to ourselves, looking at some of the reframes. Um, another good one is, um, this idea of I should be further along in my life by now, this chronological tyranny of, we somehow believe that by certain age, is people should have done certain things. It doesn't work like that. We all are where we are. We all have different needs. We all have had different struggles. There cannot be certain developmental milestones that everyone's meant to achieve at a certain time. I like milestones because they help us understand what maybe we want to work towards, but we shouldn't use them to shame where we are because a lot of us have, are doing the best we can. And that's why I keep advocating for it. contentment, not killing ourselves, not, not no sweat and, you know, what do they say? Um, no, no pain, no gain. No, we're keeping it comfortable. We're doing our best. We're not overloading ourselves. We're not stressing ourselves out. That's not self-care. So when you think you should be further along, the goal is really about saying, am I happy? Because I don't want people to achieve goals. I want people to work on being content and happy and focus on their mental health. Um, it's okay to just be glad with where you are and what you have. We don't always need to be trying to get a raise or get a promotion or get a new car or improve things. It's okay to just be like, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm meant to be. And we're allowed to do that in our lives as well. But even bigger than that, I want to remind you, it's okay at any point in your life to also say, I want to feel differently moving into the next phase of my life. And I want to make changes because I also see people use it against themselves in a different level of ageism where they'll say, I'm too old for fill in the blank. That's not real either. If you physically can do it, then you're not too old for it. If you have the means to go back to school, then you're not too old to go back to school. If you want to date or you've met someone, then you're not too old to date or to fall in love. Let's not set obstacles in place that aren't real or actually there. And this idea that because a multitude of other people or those that are important to us have achieved certain things or done certain things by certain time in their life, that doesn't mean that that's right for us or that that was even doable for us. I'm one of those people where I achieved a lot of things later in my life. I spent more time than most just kind of cruising around in my early years. That's okay. Be where you are. I have a lot left that I still want to do and I'm in no rush to do it because I realize there's no real timeline. And instead, I'm being more mental health focused. I'm focusing on how things impact my mental health. I'm focusing on just finding joy and pleasure in my day-to-day. And I'm not trying to rush anywhere. Because what happens once you get there? I want the life that I'm building while trying to achieve goals to be as meaningful and as important as those goals themselves. So pay attention more to the context of your life, but don't hold yourself back based on these arbitrary requirements of where you should be or arbitrary limits based on where you are, how old you are. That is not real. And uh, let's kind of do one more reframing something like, I'm so stupid, I shouldn't have made that mistake. That's another fascinating one. As though failure 
culturally, I appreciate that we don't really see much value in failure, but failure is where you learn the most. At times, you learn what to do differently, how not to do things. And again, it goes back to just being kind with ourselves. And sometimes we're doing the best we can and we couldn't have done any better. We couldn't have done any more. And we often will look at what others could have done or have done to determine what we hold ourselves accountable to. And that's a false construct because you're not them. And we're working on equity, not equality. Equality means the same for everyone, but that's a lie. Equity is based on who you are and what your needs are. That's what we're holding you accountable to. And everyone's going to need something different because everyone's in a different place. Everyone's been through something different. It's really just about letting go. It's really just about more empathy and kindness for ourselves and others. But we create these rigid structures as to how we should look, where we should be, what we should have. Those also change culturally, cross-culturally, in different places in time. I was telling you in an earlier segment that just decades ago, people were really focused on just being better people. Now we're focused on looking better. It'll shift again in another few decades. No idea what we're heading towards next. No idea if it's going to be worse or better. I, I still can't get a read on whether or not we're making improvements or we're backsliding. It's a little, it feels like a little bit of both right now culturally, but we're going to, you know, the jury's still out on that. So we're going to keep tracking that. But um, we just got to go easier on ourselves. I heard someone say it really beautifully. Instead of saying let go, which feels like a lot of work, we're focusing on letting things be, which there's like a softness to that. Just leave it be. Just leave certain things be in your life. Not everything needs to be dissected and unpacked and improved and, you know, whatever it is. Um, Okay, so we're going to stop there. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and uh, slide into those DMs. So as always, DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Got a question for us? Bam, drop it in there. Something you want us to cover, drop deeper into, circle back to. Also put it in there, Loveline IG page. And uh, we are channelq.com. That's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. Scroll down, look for the show name, click on it. There they all are. Binge, post, share, we listen. But uh, stick around. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we are back. Before we get to those DMs, yo, looking at the news, cities and countries are going back down under lockdown. It's like this uh, pandemic is never ending. So just a last ditch effort, remind y'all, if you are eligible, get vaccinated. If you've already got vaccinated and you're eligible for the booster, do so. Continual approvals and information and data coming out, it's good stuff. We're seeing a lot of cities and restaurants mandated. LA, bam, 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 that bad boy's kicking in real fast. Where in order to go anywhere public, you're gonna have to show signs of vaccination. I'm here for it, y'all. I'm ready to get my life back. I miss concerts. Uh, I miss everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm also ready for the cooler weather so I can feel more comfortable leaving the house. But in the very least, I want to feel safe moving around in the world. So for those that can get vaccinated, please, please do so. Um, all right, y'all. Let's get back to those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs always come from our Loveline IG page. If you got a question for us, drop it in there. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I've noticed that I'm having an issue with control. When I feel like my life is spiraling around me, I tend to do something self-sabotaging so I can gain some sort of control over something. I know that I'm doing it, but I can't stop. And then I come crashing down when the consequences finally hit me. I wanna break the cycle, I just don't know how. Uh, wow, that sounds like a therapy issue. 
Uh, cause I'm not really sure when you say self-sabotage what you're talking about. And I don't know if you're talking about something life-threatening, dangerous, really toxic. So I want to be very thoughtful about that. I would get into some therapy. There is no quick tip or trick to control ourselves in that way. And I'm always very cautious about simplifying something that isn't. Uh, sometimes I don't use all the DMs that come in because they're asking for me to share in f- under five minutes an answer to something that has a lot of depth to it and requires a lot of assessment and processing and has more questions. Uh, something that's related to self-sabotage and attempts at control, I need a lot more understanding about your history, what's going on in your current life, impulse control, boundaries. But more importantly, it's gonna be about impulse control and boundaries, but also learning other forms of coping. We tend to rely on the same forms of coping over and over, even if they're self-defeating. So it's about widening your toolbox and, and really getting better at checking in with yourself and understanding what the triggers are. That's really a big part of mental health is understanding what are my high risk situations and my triggers. Start by identifying those first because then we see them coming and we can either decide to not step into them because right now we're not feeling good or regulated. We can also prepare ourselves knowing we're walking into a dynamic or stepping into a situation that tends to make us feel bad. And then also starting to look at what are other possible tools or forms of coping that aren't going to be rooted in something negatively impactful or self-sabotage. So I would say just start there. Really examine what are the most difficult times you've been through where you struggle the most and ask yourself, you know, what are those and, and map them out, map them out. Every healthy person knows their triggers. Every healthy person knows their high-risk people, places, and things, whether we're talking about addiction, mental health struggles, or something like this. What we have, you know, poor impulse control around. Because sometimes we can just sidestep it. We can say, I'm going to remove myself from that environment or from those people. Or, like I said, we know it's coming. We know, oh, right, the holidays are hard for me. I tend to not make good choices around the holidays. I know that it's coming. I can start to prepare myself and look at what are my options, what are healthier options, And that's what the work is really about, building that awareness, really realizing what the issues are, seeing them coming, and then ahead of time knowing what's possible, but also having a lot of resources available. Um, I don't know what you mean by self-sabotage. Sometimes it can be something that's not life-threatening, and other times it does skew that way, especially if someone has mental health or addiction issues or in their history. So I would say speak to a therapist to really assess the gravity of this and to really look at what forms of coping and self-regulation are available for someone like you. But it's something we can all learn from. If we have a sense of what are the people, places, and things or situations that tend to throw us off, Well, we know when they're coming and we can prepare ourselves or like I said, completely avoid them. But we all need to have a full range of coping mechanisms. Often the problems are when we only rely on the same one. But if we have a multitude of them, then we have choices and choices bring empowerment and choices bring freedom. So anything that's rooted in self-sabotage, yes, you want to do the work of moving away from that and providing a, a better solution or an alternative tool. Um, but go go definitely see a therapist and, and get some attention put on that. All right, y'all, that is our show. Thanks for hanging out with me. Past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, and uh, drop us a question in our DMs on the Loveline IG page. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. We'll be back tomorrow night. Take care of yourselves and be kind to those around you and enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 